0: Jason, uh, we'll go ahead and dismiss for Antioch kids uh, to your classrooms with your teachers uh, collectively as a church. We just want to say to you, you are sent. Good morning, church. My name is Tanner. I'm one of our uh, pastoral candidates here at Antioch. And a few weeks ago, I preached from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 7 through 18. We talked about what it means to live the unimpressive but authentic life. Today, we'll look at another common phrase in the life of Antioch. That is, we are blessed to be a blessing. Um, it didn't, didn't plan on it coming that, out that way, but that's just what happened as we moved through 2 um, Corinthians together. Um, but on the surface, blessed to be a blessing seems like a relatively straightforward concept, right? Um, but we like to say in our culture, Our culture likes to use the word blessed relatively uh, easy, right? We hit all the green lights on the way home. We're blessed. We get our annual uh, cost of living increase. Well, that's a blessing. We um, lose a few pounds on the scale this week. It's another blessing. But as we'll see together this morning, the blessings of God often don't come in those neat little packages that we always expect them to. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open them together to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs, that'll be on page 965, 966. The title of our sermon this morning is Blessed to be a Blessing. Our main point is pretty easy. In Christ, we have truly been blessed to be a blessing. If that's not easy enough, I've outlined it this way. Point one, we have been blessed, from verses 7 through 10. Two, we have been blessed to be a blessing, verses 11 through 15. And point three, we are waiting on a better blessing, 16 through 18. We've been blessed, we've been blessed to be a blessing, we're waiting on a better blessing. With that said, if you are physically able, please stand and honor the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, we ask that you take... A posture of reverence in your heart. Again, our passage is 2 Corinthians 7 4, 7 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I don't know about you all, but about a few years ago, around this time of year... Around years, endings, and zeros and ones. Okay, uh, Kathleen and I needed a little bit of relief, some li- some light-hearted television, and so, like many of you, we turned and were captivated to the mystical mustached Mr. Rogers' s character known as Ted Lasso. For those unfamiliar, Ted Lasso is a widely popular show about a successful college football coach who finds himself in Europe coaching an English Premier League team. Lasso is played by Jason Sudeikis and is a witty, charming, contagiously optimistic character. One example, at one point in the show he's asked if he believes in ghosts, and he responds wholeheartedly that he does believe in ghosts, But more importantly, he thinks they should believe in themselves. (laughs) And throughout the first season, Ted faces incredible odds and intense criticism that would be debilitating for a normal person. But Ted, instead of grumbling, seems to take everything like a goldfish and just forget about it and move on. And when asked about some of the show's major themes, Sudeikis responded in the following way. One of the themes in the show is that evil exists bullies, toxic cultures, malignant narcissists, and we can't destroy them, but it's just about how you deal with those things. That's where the positivity and some of the lessons come in. It's about what we have control over. And so in a nutshell, that's sort of the good news offering of Ted Lasso, or the gospel according to Ted Lasso. And it's one that held an entire audience captive for three seasons. It's one that We tuned in regularly to enjoy. If you're like me, sometimes the power of positive thinking approach to problems doesn't seem to work, right? Things are real, and we can't just think happy thoughts and get through them. And so Ted Lasso allowed us to see someone, a group of people, face life's problems head-on, and uh, many of the problems that we deal with—anxiety, criticism, divorce, the pressure to perform— And Ted and and the cast characters take those problems head on with kindness and optimism and encouragement, and not destroying evil, but just combating it with what they can control. And it's an appealing message that we would be quick to latch on to. Evil exists. It's prevalent, pervasive, unbeatable. So just do your own thing. Keep your head up. Control what you can control. But the problem is, if you watch the entire series, you discover that the optimistic, as optimistic as Ted seems, he's still incredible, incredibly fragile. His joy is not impenetrable, no one's is. And the story just kind of ends on a flat note with a bunch of people who are trying their best to be happy. There's not a lot of resolution, they're content with the good things they have, the, the way that they see the world. And that might be good enough for some people, but it's still an incredibly shallow way to live. It doesn't go deep enough. God wants to abundantly pour out his blessings. And the gospel, according to Ted Lasso, is nothing compared to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that we'll see in our passage. So let's look at point one. We have been blessed. Look at verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So before we dig in, we need to know what being blessed means, right? It's like the whole base of the sermon. So what does being blessed mean? In short, it's essentially this, that being blessed means God is on our side, that he's with us, that he goes out with us, that he establishes the work of our hands, that he helps us to prosper. In other words, if God doesn't do it, if he's not with us, then we're done. We're completely undone, wrecked. If God is on our side, though, we're blessed. So the opposite of blessing is pretty easy, right? It's it's cursed. God's not on your side. He's against you. You're his enemy. And so when we say that the promotion we received was a blessing, we really only say that in the sense that if out of a heart of thankfulness, that if God wasn't on my side, I wouldn't have got the promotion. If God wasn't on my side, I wouldn't have been recognized in this way. If God wasn't on my side, this wouldn't have happened. So we've been blessed, but in what way? Do one of two ways. First, we've been blessed in our barrenness. We bring nothing to the table. Back when we were in 2 Corinthians 3, we talked about how Paul was up against the super apostles, the apostles who thought Highly of themselves and their credentials and the things that they were successful in. And so Paul's using this opportunity to address those those super apostles again. Perhaps they thought that their success gave them unique was uniquely something special, that they had some sort of spiritual superpowers that made them uh, succeed at what they did. But Paul's Paul's gonna say the opposite: that God's blessings are not enhancements. God's blessings are not spiritual superpowers, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Not, not like made with love, special Rebecca Flint jars of clay, like common, ordinary, take-home container jars of clay, right? So in the ancient world, clay jars were pretty common. Now we kind of take that for granted, but these were often things that were just sort of tossed to the side. When they broke, they broke. You didn't think anything of it. You got a new one. Nothing special. So Paul begins with the healthy dose of reality that you and I are jars of clay. Congratulations. We're nothing special, fragile, easily broken, often disregarded, cooked dirt. Which isn't necessarily hard to believe, right? If if you're like me, you're aware of your limitations and your fragility. You're aware of your own brokenness. That's not the difficult part of the verse. The difficult part of the verse is, is the treasure, We have this treasure in jars of clay. As fragile and weak as we are, God has still allowed his radiant face to shine upon us. He's filled us with his divine treasure. What's that treasure? So if you have your Bibles, look up verses 5 and 6. Paul writes, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God made known to us in the face of Jesus. It's that knowledge, that blessing that we carry around and proclaim. It's the gospel of light that shines forth and dispels darkness. It's the blessing of knowing Christ. God has invested this treasure in us, fragile clay jars. Why? Second half of verse 7. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If you're tempted like me, sometimes you might think of yourself less of a jar of clay and more like a bread bowl. Here's what I mean. A bread bowl, right? We all agree that bread is delicious. In and of itself, bread is amazing. And soup only makes it better, right? So, it enhances something that is already good on its own. But that's not how God's blessings work. God's blessing of the knowledge of the gospel is not an enhancement that makes us better than we already are. God's blessing in Christ is not something we add to ourselves to make our lives better. God's blessing comes to us. Fills us with eternal treasure of grace and mercy and forgiveness, not to decorate our dirt, but to display his surpassing and glorious power. Church, the best thing about you is that God loved you and sent his son to die for you so that you would no longer be broken and thrown off to the side, but that you would be broken, blessed and made whole. In the transformative love of God that's changing you from one degree of glory to another until you see his face. So that's what it means to be blessed in barrenness. Second, we are blessed in our brokenness. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus May also be manifested in our bodies. If you were here in the spring, we went through the Gospel of Luke, entitled in a series entitled "Upside Down." If you weren't here, the idea is pretty simple: that God's ways are not our ways, and He often acts to us and in the world in ways that we are often not expecting. As we're reminded from our reading of the Beatitudes this morning, that the blessings of God come in ways and to people that we are often not expecting the meek, the broken, the persecuted, the sorrowful, those are the ones who God is on their side. So they're upside down. And Paul describes four types of brokenness beginning in verse 8. He says, we're afflicted but we're not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. And for most of us, even though we don't We don't experience the sufferings at at this level that Paul is writing about, about. We may be wanting to lean away from the text and sort of brush past it. But just as an encouragement, when you read your Bibles, if you feel yourself kind of stepping away from something when you read it, that's usually a good sign to lean in and learn what God has for you. So on the one hand, we can say that, yes, we don't suffer like our global brothers and sisters in Christ, And because of that, we need to remember them in our prayers. We need to send global missionary support. We need to provide encouragement and resources. As those who have not been blessed with that particular form of suffering, we need to bless them. And even if our particular part of the body is not facing these challenges, we're still one body in Christ. And when one suffers, we all suffer in a sense. But on the other hand, we still suffer in a very real and but more subtle way. We are indeed afflicted by a body of flesh that 's continually against us and hostile towards us it 's continually decaying we 're perplexed as we try to wrestle here and now with what God would have us to do as we seek His face in the mystery of life that 's filled with more questions than answers we 're persecuted by enticements of false, false gospels in a culture that demands We put our best foot forward, believe in ourselves enough to be as happy as we can. We're struck down by a gauntlet of life that's thrown at us at all sides that would overtake the strongest person if God were not on their side. Yet we're afflicted, broken, but in Christ God has chosen to bless us. If God were not on our side, we'd be undone. And so we have hope. Not in ourselves, Paul says, but in the surpassing power of God. Like Ted Lasso, our can-do positive attitude cannot deliver us from the brokenness of our lives. We can't run away from ourselves. We can't bless this mess. (laughs) We have to run toward blessing itself, toward Jesus Christ, the one who has chosen to pour out himself on our behalf that we might be blessed in our brokenness. Paul concludes this thought in verse 10. He writes, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What does this mean? What in the world? Okay, here's the idea. God's blessings are only poured out in barren and broken clay pots. Got it? Resurrection life only comes after crucifixion death. We are always carrying with us the shameful, unimpressive, humiliating death of Jesus. Barrenness. Brokenness. Why? In order that the surpassing power of God displayed in the resurrection might be displayed in us. If you want blessings, you've got to be broken. If you want blessings, you've got to be bare so it's only with this understanding that we can rejoice along with Paul and say, truly, we have been blessed. But that's not all. God's blessings are suppo- not supposed to stop with us, but we're supposed to bless others. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Point two, starting in verse 11. Similar idea, Paul writes, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. So, Paul kind of repeats the idea in verse 11 that he said in verse 10. And then he goes on to verse 12, applying this to the Corinthians, which is sort of a shocker, right? doesn't make, this kind of doesn't make sense. We would expect something like, death is at work in us, while life is also at work in us. That would have sort of tied the bow up nicely and moved on. But that's not what he writes. Death is at work in us, but life in you. That's what it means to be blessed, to be a blessing. In our emptiness, God has richly blessed us in Christ. We are afflicted, carrying within our bodies the death of Jesus. Not so that we might keep blessings to ourselves, but so that we may life may be at work in others. Resurrection life only comes after crucifixion, death. If you are a Christian, you're here this and here this morning, think about this. The number of people who have suffered on your behalf so that you might hear the gospel are unnumberable. The New Testament alone just kind of gives weight to the the amount of martyrs and people who had to die for their faith so that you and I might hear the good news. The person who shared Christ with you for the first time suffered uncountable attacks from the enemy. Anxiety, fear of rejection, affliction, Maybe your own rejection, maybe your own criticisms. We couldn't count the sufferings of others on our behalf. And by God's grace, as we all labor in our respective walks with Jesus, as we all slowly die to ourselves and live to Christ, may the same be true to us. May death be at work in us so that life may be at work in the lives of those we minister to. As we get closer and grow closer in our walk with Jesus, our lives, our ministries to others should look like his. Dying his death so that others might experience his life. That's the Christian call. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Let's keep going. We need to, to maybe point out that Paul is not a like an American Christian. He's actually facing immense persecution. Like he's, he's going to die if he keeps doing what he's doing. And so we need to reflect back on what he writes in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves... But on God who raises the dead, he delivered us from such a deadly peril. and He will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So Paul is able to embrace the blessing of the death of Christ in order to bless the Corinthians with the life at Christ for one major reason. He is convinced in the coming salvation of the Lord. Verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Paul's quoting from Psalm 116, verse 10, as a way of identifying that what I'm about to say is in the same spirit as David. In Psalm 116, verse 10. So just as David was delivered from the cords of death that entangled him, so was Paul. Just as David was criticized for proclaiming his hope in the Lord, so was Paul. Just as David experienced the Lord's answer to his cries for help, so did Paul. And it's in that hope of the Lord's faithfulness that Paul b- believes in and proclaims. But that hope is not a temporary deliverance. He's not saying the Lord's going to deliver me from like everyone who wants to kill me. No, it's a deliverance from the permanent From death itself, it's a permanent defeat of death forever through the resurrection. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring you into his presence. So we're clay pots carrying around eternal treasure. We're blessed. We're broken and busted, but cherished and prized in the eyes of God. We're blessed. We carry in our bodies the death of Jesus to fully experience the life of Jesus. We are blessed. Death is at work in us while life is at work in others. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has given us the hope of the resurrection so that we could pour out our lives on behalf of others. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, Corinthians, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Friends, we will not all die, but we will be raised on the last day. Amen? Amen. We will see Jesus face to face. That reality, practicing the the belief of the resurrection, informed everything that the apostles did. It informs everything that we should do in, in a life that's fraught with evils, We will not die. We will be raised on the last day. We will be with Jesus. And so I say that to you not to say, all right, now go out and just do more for Jesus and get as many points as you can. That's not what we're saying. But I want to encourage you with this. Don't settle for anything less than resurrection. The goal of the Christian life is not try your best to be happy. It's not take the blessings as they come and make the best of it. It's not have the life you want now. That's too sad. It falls too short. It's too shallow. The hope that we have in Christ is this, that we are barren, broken, busted people, but Jesus loves us and has filled us with his immense treasure of his goodness, that he's using our fragile, weak, and cracked lives To pour out his blessings on the world to the increase of his praise and glory. It's an incredible mystery. The more that death is at work in us, the more life is at work in the lives of the people God's called us to display his glory to. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Our last point. But we're waiting on a better blessing. So, there's a reason that the hope Ted Lasso offers us is appealing. C.S. Lewis writes in a sermon based on this passage the following The books, the music, or the TV shows in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It was not in them, it only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we've not found, the echo of a tune we've not heard, news from a country we've never visited. Do you think I'm trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am. But remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And you and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment of worldliness, which has been laid upon us for nearly a 100 years. Almost our whole education has been directed to silencing this shy, persistent inner voice. Almost all of our modern philosophies have been devised to convince us that the good man is to be found on this earth. Whatever it is we think is appealing to us in the optimism and kindness and hope of a TV show is only a small shadow of the thing we're actually longing for. Verse 16, so we do not lose heart, brothers and sisters. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Here Paul is picking up from our sermon a few weeks ago, chapter 3, verse 18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So our outer self is wasting away. We share in the dying of Christ. One degree of glory. We're also sharing in the resurrection. His life is at work in us. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Another degree of glory. As we experience the gritty and rugged blessedness of life, God is both sustaining and preparing us for a far more glorious blessing than any of us could ever imagine. Verse 17 is like the crescendo verse. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things unseen are eternal. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, and you're looking for some sort of win. Things aren't going well and you just need something to go right for you. Maybe you're struggling and just want some sort of affirmation that you're okay and it's all going to be okay. Let me encourage you with this. On behalf of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, we beg you, don't settle for anything less than the life of the resurrection. You don't just want to be happy in this life. Those things that, we, that you long for are pointing to a deeper angst in your soul that can only be satisfied in the face of Jesus. Don't settle for anything less than the resurrection which means accepting the difficult reality that you must live the death of Christ in order to experience the life of his resurrection. If you want to be blessed, you have to turn from bootstrapping together good things for yourself and turn to Christ, who is goodness himself. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, friends, let's take comfort that the end of this story doesn't end on a flat note with a bunch of people who are just trying their best to be happy but that we actually get that which we've longed for. We actually get true and eternal happiness, blessedness before the face of Jesus. What a gift. Because of Christ's death on our behalf, we can look to these momentary afflictions and call ourselves blessed. Without God on our side, they would completely take us under. Jesus endured them so that we could endure them as his supreme power works in us. But praise be to God that these seen things are transient and fading away. Because of Christ's resurrection on our behalf, we can look beyond momentary afflictions towards the hope of the eternal weight of glory that is awaiting us. A far more glorious blessing, not just the sign of what things are pointing to, but the thing itself. Blessedness in Christ, happiness in Christ, not just happy feelings, but happiness itself in the person of Jesus, eternal life with God. We are waiting on a better blessing. As we wait, Jesus has given us another sign, a tangible sign of an eternal reality that we're waiting on a better blessing, that He is returning. And on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread. After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is spilled for you. As often as you eat this bread... Drink from this cup. You're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Today at Antioch, we're announcing this together. Today, er, in Christ, we have truly been blessed to be a blessing. Our tradition is to come forward and to break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There will be gluten-free options available over here. If you're a baptized believer, we invite you to come forward and to partake in this celebration of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a baptized believer... Uh, we ask that you would um, abstain from this table and take Christ himself as your true blessing. We'll have a time of prayer. After you examine yourself, we invite you to come forward Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in your goodness that you have richly lavished on us, that you have Truly blessed us with your son who took our place, bore our shame, carried our burdens, died our death, and was raised so that if if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his resurrections. Father, what a gift that we can't comprehend or imagine, but that captivates us and calls us to live before him with joy and joy. And gladness. Father, we ask that you would bless this time as we come to your table and you make yourself known to us in this moment. Pray this in Jesus' name.